At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, Finding Your Christmas Story in Theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. We're going to get into the Word of God. Um, it's been great. We're in Advent season, and Advent really speaks to the preparation of the heart for an arrival. In particular, the arrival that the, the first Christmas spoke of was the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, into the world. And those who were alive during that first coming of Christ, we call them eyewitnesses. And we've been doing this character study where we've looked at the lives, or we're going to be looking at the lives of several of the key and prominent individuals in the Christmas story, the nativity story that captured the first Christmas, and see what we can learn from their lives as eyewitness uh, viewers of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. But just know that you and I are living in between two Advents, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And just like those who lived during the first coming had to prepare their hearts, and there were centuries and centuries of prophecies and preparation of the heart for the coming of Christ into the world the first time, that he is coming back again. How many are excited about that? That Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, he is coming back again. In, but we need to be ready. We need to have hearts that are prepared. This time he's not coming back as a baby, but he is coming back as the conquering king, our hero, and our redeemer. Amen? Um, but this week, we get a chance to take up a question, and here's the question I want us to consider. What does true faith look like? What does true faith look like? We live in a day and age that is overrun by authors. Trust me, I get a chance to talk to a lot of them. We have an abundance of books, and we have no shortage of social media influencers either. And if we're not careful, we will think that true faith is measured by the volume of a person's voice or the amount of a person's words. But the Bible gives us a number of individuals who were what we would call strong and silent, that they were measured in their words, but their impact was extraordinary. Consider our Savior for just a moment. In John 19 and 9, it says that when he stood before his accusers, in particular Pontius Pilate, that he uh, said not a word, that he spoke not a word. He, he stood there and he let his actions speak for themselves. For many of us that are in here today, if we aren't careful, we'll think that the measure of true faith is simply measured through our words or our volume. But today, we're gonna to look at the life of an individual who shows us that true or genuine faith is always and will always be measured by action. As a matter of fact, true faith requires a righteous response. It always results in a righteous response. We're gonna look at the life of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, just seven verses, verses 18 through 25. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn a lot about Joseph today. One of the things we're going to learn today is that Joseph's entire life is captured in about 16 verses of the New Testament. 
Joseph's life story is summarized in about 16 verses in the New Testament. A lot of interesting things we're going to learn about this man and his profound impact on the faith. But maybe what's most interesting is that one word is recorded that Joseph spoke. He's, he's what many New Testament scholars refer to as quiet Joseph. He's a strong but silent type. But yet his impact on the Christian faith is absolutely enormous. Today's message is a big shout out to all the introverts in the room. And the church said, amen. Go with me to verse number 18. And what we're going to see as we go through this story of the birth of Jesus is, is what has to happen in order for our genuine faith or our true faith to produce righteous response. The first thing is that we're going to have to trust God's plan. Look at what it says, verse number 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I just want you to step away for a moment and just picture this. I want you to consider what this moment must have been like from Joseph's perspective. We're all excited about Christmas. How many get fired up about Christmas? How many love it, all excited about it, decorations, dinners, gifts, all those things? Let me just tell you, for Joseph, at least at this moment, that first Christmas was not an exciting moment for him as we see him in verse number 18. Now, there's a word that's used here. We don't use it in our current vernacular to be betrothed. betrothed. What does it mean to be betrothed? It means maybe the most uh, contemporary analogy I can give is to be engaged. But yet it is even more uh, binding because the way that Jewish culture worked is that the marriage license was signed at the point of engagement, not at the point of the wedding ceremony. And so you would have signed the marriage license already saying, I'm committed to her and she's saying she's committed to me and we're going to get married. And what would have happened is that Joseph would have showed up at her father's house and he would have brought with him gifts for them and he would have asked for her hand in marriage and the family would have responded and, and she would have uh, affirmed, yes, we accept this offer of marriage. And there would have been a commitment made, though the marriage would not be consummated through sexual intimacy until after the wedding ceremony, there was no less of a binding commitment. And what would have happened in Jewish culture is that Joseph would have went back to his father's house and he would have began to work on building an expansion onto his father's home where he and his new bride would start their new life together and build a family. So can you imagine Joseph going through all of this, him asking for Mary's hand in marriage, him giving gifts to the family, expressing his uh, sense of her value and her worth and her beauty in his eyes, and them responding saying, yes, yes, we accept this offer of marriage and her saying, yes, I will be your bride, and him saying, I will be your husband, and him so excited, going back home, starting to build, and then Mary uh, shows up with news for him. And what's the news? And this is where all the men say, ouch. The news is, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant, and I'm telling you right now, the first thing that goes through uh, his mind is the first thing that would have gone through any man's mind. How could you? How could you uh, betray me this way? How, how could you be unfaithful to me this way? 
There would have been such embarrassment for him. The, the embarrassment of his family having to tell them that the wedding's off. The embarrassment of his friends saying that, I'm sorry, Mary and I are not gonna be married. I'm not gonna take her on as my wife uh, because she's been unfaithful. There would have been the brokenheartedness because he really did love her. But it says in the next verse, in verse number 19, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now this tells us a lot about Joseph's character. It tells us a lot about the character of this man. If you're reading in the NIV, you probably see that where it says just in most translations will be translated uh, for you that he was faithful to the law. The word that's used here for just is a word that's also used throughout the New Testament for righteous or righteousness. This, this was a righteous man. He was more than just a man of integrity, though not less than that. He was more than just a, a good man, but he was a man who was in right standing with the Lord. And I want you to see what his plan was, because he had a plan. And in his mind, his plan was, though Mary has caused me shame, and though her actions have caused me embarrassment, I am not going to publicly disgrace her. How many think that's a good man, right? Now, now here's the thing. Uh, he would have, if the story would have stopped here, we probably would have walked away with a pretty high opinion of Joseph. If the story stops here and him just doing this act of clear mercy, this act of clear kindness, uh, we would have walked away saying, you know what, that Joseph is an upstanding guy. I don't know if I would have had the character to respond the way he did, but he was simply going to sign the divorce certificate quietly and he did not want to put her to public shame. I, and I just want to use this as a moment to applaud all of you who don't return evil for evil. I wanna applaud all of you, because I do think there is uh, a lot of many messages that are in here, and I think one of the many messages that are, uh, that's in Joseph's story is that we don't always have to respond publicly to people who hurt us or embarrass us publicly. That one of the greatest things we can do when we are offended or hurt by someone publicly is maybe to deal with it privately. You know, social media has changed a lot of dynamics, hasn't it? And nowadays, when we are arguing, we go public with it. And you will never win a social media argument. You know why? Because who concedes an argument when 100 other folks are watching? The fact of the matter is, is that when you're in a, uh, a social media argument, nobody's going to concede because it's a public thing. But I want to applaud those of you who say, you know what, I'm not going to use either social media or any other public sp uh, space for dealing with disputes. I'd rather private message you and say, hey, let's try to work this out. I'd rather meet with you face to face to say, hey, can we deal with these things? Let me just tell you, this generation can learn a lot from Joseph. We need to be reminded of what it is to deal privately with wounds, offenses, and hurts. Amen? That's just thrown in there for free for you guys. <laughs> but this was his plan. His plan was, I'm going to divorce her and I want to put her away quietly. And most of us could relate to how he's feeling. But then verse number 20 happens. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God knew what he had to do in order to get through to Joseph's heart. I think that most of us, it would take a visitation from an angel to convince us that uh, Mary had conceived as a virgin miraculously as, uh, as she is the, uh, the bearer of uh, the Son of God coming into the world. But that's exactly what God did for him. Now, we're gonna see throughout Joseph's life that this is the first of three visitations from angels. Angels keep showing up in his life, but what is interesting is what the angel does. And this is where I want you to track with me. What the angel does is he says, Joseph, in essence, I know you have a plan, but God has a different plan. I need you to abandon your plan and to trust God's plan. And that's the challenge that's put forth to every single one of us. Every single one of us is sitting in this room today know what it's like to have a plan for our future. Maybe you're the responsible type. Maybe you have gone through all the practical steps to putting together a plan for your life. Maybe you have been uh, very diligent to consider all of the variables that one would consider in order to put together a plan. But let me ask this question. Have you made space and left room for God's plan, for God to speak into your life and to give you his plans, even if it means your plans are disrupted? We should all carry our plans with open hands. Uh, we should all come before the Lord with our plans and be willing to allow him to take our plans and to throw them out and to replace it with his plan. Anybody been through that before? Anybody been through that where you had a plan and you thought, man, this is beautiful, this is brilliant, surely this must be what God wants? Because clearly that's what Joseph must have felt. He was faithful to the law. He was a just and a righteous man. So clearly he must have felt that him divorcing her quietly must have been pleasing and approving to God. He was no rebellious guy. And so I want to speak to not just those of you who need to turn from your sins and turn to Christ for salvation. Certainly this passage speaks to you that if you have not submitted and yielded your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that you would call upon him to be not only your savior, your rescuer, but your Lord. But this passage also speaks to those of us who want to do what is right, but maybe are way too pragmatic. Maybe we have just uh, thought through the logical sequence of things, thought from a position of moralism, but we haven't left space for the Spirit of God to speak to us. I want to encourage you to set aside days of prayer. I want to encourage you to embrace the spiritual discipline of fasting. I want to encourage you to uh, partner up with other people and ask them, can you be my intercessor, my prayer partner? Can you pray with me so that we can earnestly seek to hear from God? Joseph may be quiet, but God speaks. How many thank God that God speaks? 
that from the beginning he speaks and he continues to speak to us today primarily through his word, but he speaks and he gives a different plan than what Joseph had planned. And some of you, this is super practical because here's what the plan was. The plan was divorce and the response of God was don't get a divorce. Now, I could spiritualize that. I could make that analogous to a whole lot of different things going on in the world today, but I think that it's practical enough that it hits where most of us or a lot of us might be at today. Some of you may have already in your mind packed your bags. Some of you may already in your mind have decided that it's over Maybe you've gone a step further than that. Maybe you've gotten the attorney on the line. Maybe you are ready to sign the documents just like Joseph was. Maybe this passage is not just meant as a general message. Maybe it's God's word for you. Imagine for a moment you've been praying, God speak to me, what is your will? And then he places on the heart of, of a preacher to preach this passage. I don't think that's a coincidence. He says to him, don't get a divorce. I know you're planning to divorce her, but don't divorce her. Why? Because there's something bigger that I'm at work at. I know you think that this is about you and her, but this is actually about something bigger. This is about the child that she is carrying. Now, this is interesting because uh, God wants Joseph to take on Mary as his wife, but he's also asking him to do a second thing. Notice what he says. He says in verse 21 that she, shall be, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He says, not only do I want you to take her as your wife, don't divorce her, but I also want you to name him as your son. You get the right to name him now. In Jewish culture, the right to name the child was reserved for the father. Now, our culture is a lot different now. I'll never forget uh, a couple years ago, we were having one of our children. I can't remember which one. It's been a lot. But um, we were having one of our children. And uh, as is normal in our current system of things, uh, I was sleeping on that little pull-out couch chair, I guess is what you call it. Uh, but I was excited because this was the morning where they were going to come in and ask, what name are you putting on the birth certificate? And we had been debating this back and forth. She was submitting names. I was submitting names. And I had won. Praise God. So I was pretty excited to tell the nurse the name for the baby. And so when she came in and asked, what name are we putting on the birth certificate? I piped up and she said, sorry, I got to hear it from mama. Oh, man, was my heart broken. I sat there like a little wounded puppy dog. And uh, my wife gave the name, and I walked away with my head hanging low. Well, it was a different culture for uh, the Jewish community. For the Jewish community, the right to name the child was reserved for the father. Do you see what God is doing? What God is doing is saying to Joseph, not only do I not want you to get a divorce, and I want you to keep her as your wife, I want you to adopt this child as your earthly son, and I want you to be his earthly father, even though he is given to Mary by the Holy Spirit. Now, why would he want him to do that? Well, look at how he refers to him in verse number 20. This is where Old Testament prophecy becomes very important. Verse number 20, uh, the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. The angel of the Lord uh, appears to him, Joseph, son of 
of David. Now, why is that important? Because of 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7 tells us that the Messiah was going to come through the line of David and he would sit on the throne of David and have a perpetual kingdom. You see, the Old Testament had given us so much prophecy that the Messiah would have to fulfill. Not everyone could be the Messiah. You would have had to be born of the seed of the woman, according to Genesis 3 and 15. This spoke to the verse virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14, which he quotes here, so it would have had to have been born of a virgin, that disqualified just about everybody. You would have had to have been born in Bethlehem. You would have had to have been associated with Nazareth. You would have had to come through the line of David. See, all of these things were boxes that the Messiah had to check. Now, what's interesting is that these verses about Joseph's life, they are preceded by a genealogy section. A genealogy, verses 1 through 17, gives us the genealogy of Joseph. Now, why throw in a genealogy? Maybe you've run into a genealogy when reading through Scripture before. Anybody ever run through those begat passages and wish you had a fast-forward button for the Bible? This person begats that person begats that person, and you can be tempted to think, why is this thrown in there? Or it's not that important, but it's profoundly important for a number of reasons. Israel kept meticulous records of lineage, both for inheritance, because based off of your lineage or who your father was, determine your inheritance, what land you got, but also because of messianic prophecy, because they knew that the Messiah was coming, and they knew which line the Messiah had to come through. Now, how do these birth records normally look? Look at verse number two. It looks like this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. You notice the pattern? This person was the father of this person who was the father of this person. Not so in the testimony of Jacob. Look at Jacob. I'm, I'm sorry, Joseph. Look at verse number 16. It says, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, so we know who his father is. But then it goes on to say, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called to Christ. So this is an awkward moment. I'm taking her on as my wife, but the son that she has, that she's carrying, is not mine. It's not recorded that I am the father of Jesus. It's recorded that I am the husband of Mary. Man, is this going to be awkward. But God, in his mercy and grace and in his faithfulness to fulfilling his word, says, no, no, this baby is going to be through the line of David. And he says to Joseph, Joseph, I want you to name him and I want you to adopt him as his earthly father and he will be your earthly son. And Joseph raises Jesus that way. And the Bible says that all this was done in verse number 23, uh, verse 22 rather, to fulfill the, the word of the Lord uh, the, uh, to fulfill what the Lord, rather, had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7 and 14, which means God is with us. Here's my question for you. Are you willing to let God interrupt your plans? Maybe his interruption to your plan today, I just want to keep it really practical. Maybe he's calling you to adoption. Maybe he's calling you to consider opening not only your home, but your heart to a child. We have an enormous foster care system in this, in this country. 
There are 14,000 kids in our state alone that are waiting for a forever home. When I think about if I was making a bill of rights for kids at the first, on the first line, what would be the first right I would give to a kid is that every kid deserves a family. I can't imagine what it's like growing up without a family. As annoying as yours may be, thank God you got them, right? Some kids don't have that. And so maybe God is saying, I wanna interrupt your plan, your comfort, and I wanna speak to you about adoption. Certainly that's what he was doing here with Joseph. He says, don't divorce her, take her as your wife, and I want you to adopt him as your son because I'm at work and I'm doing something that will bring about the redemption of the world. And so what is his response? Well, if the first response was to trust God's plan, how do we know that any of us trust God's plan? It's because of the second response, and that is to obey his word. Look at verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Notice he did everything in sequence, but notice when he did it, immediately when he got up from his sleep. He didn't check with 15 different friends. He didn't go online and take a poll. He didn't debate it, didn't question what he ate last night. He says, no, this is God's word. It is clear, I must obey, I must obey. You know, there is an old hymn, and most of you won't know it. Some of you will reveal your age and you will know this. But it was written in 1887 by a guy named John H. Samus, and it's called Trust and Obey. Anybody ever heard that before? Trust and Obey. You shouldn't have raised your hand. Trust and Obey, right? But what does the song say? Trust and Obey, for there's no greater way to be what? Happy in Jesus than to what? Trust and and obey. This is the life of Joseph. Every time God commands, he obeys. Let's jump over to chapter two, verse number 13. Now what has just happened in the preceding verses is a caravan of astrologers from different countries come to him. We call them the Magi. And it was a whole caravan of them. We typically refer to them as the three wise men because they brought three gifts. But there was actually a whole caravan, so much so that all of Israel, including Herod, was terrified because they saw them coming, they heard them coming. But what do they do? They go to Joseph and Mary's house. Now Joseph and Mary, they don't come from money or wealth. They don't come from that, they come from poverty. They're working class people, but they get gifts like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now you got more money than what you ever could have imagined. And I wonder what's going through their minds. They're probably asking, God, what are we gonna do with all of this money? And here's God's response, verse number 13 of chapter two. Now, when they had departed, the, the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And what does uh, Joseph do? Verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Again, here's the pattern. God speaks, 
Joseph responds in righteous obedience. He gives a righteous response. He hears God's word and he obeys. It's as simple as that. That's a pattern of his life. Doesn't say anything. Strong and silent type. This doesn't have to be debated. God has spoken. That settles it. Let's do it. Verse number 19. Then after being there for a while, verse number 19 happens. He's in Egypt now, away from home. But when Herod died, and we don't know how long that took, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. This is the third time now he's getting a visitation from an angel saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who saw the child's life are dead. And what did he do? Verse 21, and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. You see the pattern. God speaks, he obeys. My friend, what is the pattern of your life? What is the pattern of my life? That's the question that scripture is begging us to ask of ourselves. And today, we don't need an angel to visit us in order to get God's word. How many thank God that we have God's word? His unending word, his unadulterated word, his uncompromised word, his eternal word, his inerrant, inspired word. We have his infallible word. And so as God speaks to us through his word, what he's simply asking us to do is to trust and obey. We just sang these wonderful songs about him being a promise keeper, a keeper of covenants. We just sang about the fact that his word remains and it doesn't change through all the storms of life, through the ages. How many believe that? How many believe that God is a God of his word? How many believe that he is trustworthy? How many believe that he is reliable, that he is dependable, that our God is faithful? How many believe that? Well, I pray, I pray that if you do, that you will pattern your life after Joseph's life. And you will say, speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And if you want to interrupt my plans, it might not be easy, but I'm willing to say amen to that. Many of us, any of us who have been following God knows what it's like to have your plan and God interrupt it. But that's where real obedience and real trust and real faith is proven. There is a way that seems right unto us, but the end of that way leads to destruction. God's plan for Joseph and Mary would not only end in their salvation, but it would make available salvation for the entire world because of Jesus. Today, that salvation is offered to you and to me. And so either you're one of two people here, either you need to, for the first time, surrender your heart and your life to the Lordship of Christ and say, Jesus, I'm not gonna run anymore. Be Lord of my life because I've gotten myself into a mess and only you can fix it. None of us are beyond his ability to save. Or you've already accepted him and he got your good plans, maybe today, you say, God, interrupt my plans, and I will obey. Let's stand. I thank God for all the parts of his word. Um, I don't bring a whiteout to my Bible studies. I don't try to edit the parts that are tough or inconvenient, but I wanna just surrender as an act of obedience to the Lord. 
So today, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to surrender as an act of obedience your heart to the Lord. I want to pray for us. Uh, it's been a long weekend, and uh, we're getting prepared for next weekend as well. So I want to let you go. But before I pray for us, I just want you to search your own heart and to uh, maybe just say right where you are, Lord, speak. And I'm listening. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do speak to your servants. I pray, Lord, that we would be like Joseph, that we would act and that we would obey immediately, not delayed obedience, but immediate obedience. Forgive us for the times when we ignored your word. Help us to be faithful. Lord, may our obedience not only rescue us, but may it rescue others. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Hey, I love you guys. I hope that the word of God was a blessing and encouragement to you. I can't wait to see you this weekend. Hopefully you'll be there for our concert Saturday night. If not, I'll see you next Sunday as we gather together in worship. Greet somebody in love and you are dismissed. God bless and have a great day. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.